Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Roster-Munley. And I am the other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And we are gathered here, as we always are, to discuss another exceptional poem. And today, mild profanity warning, which um, today's poem is Shitty Kitty by Don Mi Choi. It's a great um, title. It is a great title. Don Mi Choi has written quite a few books, many of which have been recognized with various awards and honors. Most recently, DMZ Colony, which came out in 2020, was honored with the National Book Award in Poetry. So. There you go. Um, in their citation, I wrote this down because it was such a nice uh, description, but in the citation for that win, the judges wrote that it captures the migrating latticework of those transformed by war and colonization, which I thought was a pretty nice turn of phrase to describe yeah. the book. And is also like a pretty apt description of a lot of her work, I think. So the poem that we are talking about, Shitty Kitty, was in the 2016 book, Hardly War. Both that and DMZ Colony are from Wave Books. But in 2010, she came out with The Morning News is Exciting from Action Books. And in 2014, Petite Manifesto from Vagabond. So a bunch of different books to check out. And the most recent award slash honor is uh, that she was given a 2021 Guggenheim Fellowship. Um, Or, you know, not necessarily given, but like awarded, (laughs) earned (laughs) with incredible work, you know, obviously. Um, they, They aren't just handing them out. Unfortunately not. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the dreams of the Goog over in this in this podcast before. Everybody wants a Goog. Got to get that I, Goog. Have I told you this? <laughs> Got to get the Goog. Have I told you about this this novel, The Anthologist? Maybe I don't think I so, no. It's, this, it's by the novelist um, Nicholson Baker, who's written a lot of books. I didn't um, know Nickelback wrote novels. Yes, using the uh, <laughs> pseudonym Nicholson Baker. <laughs> like, if you're the um, band Nickelback, what name are you going to write books under? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's not us, the members of Nickelback. It's uh, Nicholson Baker, and this is our novel, Photographs to Look At. Look at this photograph. Oh, my God. Anyway, this book that was written... This book, the anthologist, it's a it's a novel. It's it's uh it's about this older poet who has to write an anthology or the introduction to an anthology of poems, and he can't do it. And the whole novel is like him struggling, uh, to just write the introduction. It's it's a very sweet little novel. But he won a Guggenheim, like decades before. But at a certain point, the Guggenheim. It seems like it has a life, uh, shelf life of about 20 to 30 years, and then you got to get something else, <laughs> according, oh, according no. to the, the novel. Anyway, no, I mean, that's not how it's framed. It's just, it's, uh, he's, he's kind of a sad, a sad man. He's a bit lonely. Um, Those are both things that are so that's easily accomplished without a Guggenheim. Goog. So if you can be 
a sad, lonely person with one <laughs> or a sad, lonely person without one. I choose with. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Don Mitroy is a 2021 Guggenheim fellow. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Very Hopefully cool. not sad or lonely. Yeah. Or at least, you know, only in moderation, a healthy amount. Yeah. Yeah, it's healthy to experience the full gamut of emotions, but preferably with like a little bit more of the positive ones mixed in than the negative. Um, and yeah. we only want the best for Dami Choi here at Close Talking. Yes, obviously. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably best. This poem has like a lot of stuff in it that we'll be like offering definitions and explanations of just before we kind of get into it. But I think it makes sense to read it first and then kind of dive headlong into all that stuff. All right, so this is Shitty Kitty by Don Mitroy. Here comes Shitty Kitty en route to the Gulf of Tonkin or en route to a race riot. That is the question. And meanwhile, discipline is the keystone. And meanwhile, did you see on TV helicopters being ditched into the sea? That is also my film. And meanwhile, all refugees must be treated as suspects. Looking for your husband? Looking for your son? That is the question. And meanwhile, she was the mother of the boy, or that is what the translator said, or shitty kitty, or shall we adhere to traditional concepts of military discipline tempered with humanitarianism? That is the question. And meanwhile, South Korea exports military labor left over from the war. That is also my history, or is that your history? That is the question. And meanwhile, chorus, dictator Park Chung-hee and his soldiers in Ray-Bans. How much? 7.5 million equals per division, or Bintai Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Binhoa Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Dian Nian Fuk Bin Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Go Die Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Hey My Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Fong Ni and Fong Nat Massacre equals 15 million, or Tae Vin Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Vin Xuan Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Mighty History? That is the question. And meanwhile, a riot began over a grilled cheese sandwich at Subic Bay. Discrimination or perception? That is the question. And meanwhile, the sailor refused to make a statement or translate? That is the question. And meanwhile, 26 men, all black, were charged with assault and rioting. And meanwhile, did you translate? That is my question. And meanwhile, Larder Crisco? Aye, aye, sir. Antichorus, kittens in frilly white bonnets, bibs and mittens. Kitty song, I, 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 sir, I, crazy daisy, sir, I, export quality, sir, I, grill, grill, sir, I, meow, meow, sir, I, kitty litter, sir. Woo! Yeah, so there's like, I think pretty obviously a lot going on in this poem both formally in the stuff that it's doing and we'll get into that a little bit you can hear a lot of it i think but also talking a little bit about how it ends up getting displayed on the page but it is also just absolutely thick with historical references and resonances um which is a big part of of what's going on here so yeah shitty kitty is a reference to the uss kitty hawk which was a Kitty Hawk class super aircraft carrier that served many, many years from 1961 when it was first commissioned to 2009 when it was finally decommissioned, the longest serving Kitty Hawk class carrier. Wow. Um, yeah. And to give a sense of like scope and scale, I think they could have up to like 90 aircraft on them. They were crewed by anywhere from like 4,000 to 5,600 people. So they are these kind of like massive moving cities. The scale is astounding. Wow. Kitty Hawk also like got the name Shitty Kitty because it became like a very old boat. 
And so it had like rusted pipes and all this kind of stuff. So it was like a kind of affectionate nickname, but it shows up in a bunch of different movies. This poem kind of addresses a very particular incident that occurred uh, or really like a series of incidents that occurred between crew members on the Kitty Hawk, which is that there was actually what was termed at the time and is, you know, been written into history as the Kitty Hawk riot um, or the Kitty Hawk race riots, which was this series of conflicts between black and white service members on the USS Kitty Hawk in uh, 1972, in October of 1972, October 12th and 13th, which sort of started onshore in the Philippines and then came to a head on the ship itself as the ship was headed towards the Gulf of Tonkin. And if that sounds familiar, that's because the Gulf of Tonkin incident, as it is known, which happened eight years before, um, was the main like escalating incident for U.S. involvement in Vietnam. So in the Gulf of Tonkin, there's this quote unquote incident, different ship, the USS Maddox, but uh, it gets turned into this crisis. And within two days, there's the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which if you're at all familiar with the authorization for the use of military force that came a few days after 9-11, that basically was a piece of paper that was handed to the president saying that he should do whatever is necessary to strike back um, against the elements of Al-Qaeda that attacked the United States on September 11th. This is like the precursor to that. It's a very hastily put together piece of uh, like a permission slip to the president to take military action. And Johnson later, as more information came in about what happened in the Gulf of Tonkin, gives this really like arresting quote that they could have been shooting at whales out there. It's like unclear that there was actually an incident that needed a response, but it becomes this like spark that leads to ongoing U.S. involvement in Vietnam. So that's one historical resonance that's going on in the poem just by having the Gulf of Tonkin a part of this real historical event. The ship was on the way there when this violence occurred on it, um, but it also like immediately brings up this other history. So yeah, there's these confrontations between black and white service members on the Kitty Hawk. Part of the reason that they happened is because as the military transitioned from being like conscription-based and draft-based to being a more volunteer army, there were like more incentives for people to join. And so there were a higher percentage of Black folks joining military services. And so the percentage went up very quickly uh, across the various military branches. And this led to uh, many incidents like these there was actually one that happened very shortly after the USS Kitty Hawk on the USS Constellation, which was a separate kind of thing. And there was even a, uh, a commission put together to investigate the a Senate commission. The one thing, so like I obviously like read on Wikipedia about this and there was one line from the Wikipedia entry that really stuck out to me that I think also plays into what this poem is talking about. Um, and it's about how it all kind of came to an end. And it is this like one sentence that just says, by 7.58 a.m., the confrontation had completely ended and the Kitty Hawk resumed bombing North Vietnam, which is like such an overlay to all of what's going on on the ship itself is like, well, once everything kind of returns to stasis, military efficiency can also return, which is something I think this poem also kind of gets to. So that's like the kitty hawk, shitty kitty overlay. The other kind of really standout moment is this list in the middle of the poem of like monetary cost of a division of fighters. It's a list of massacres that South Korean troops perpetrated against Vietnamese civilians while fighting in the Vietnam War. And they all basically occur between 1966 and 1968. And in each of them, almost every single one, like more than 100 people are killed, anywhere from 100 to like 1,200 people um, in each of them. So that is definitely some 
certainly in the United States, much lesser known and lesser explored history and tragedy. Yeah. So every single one of those that gets mentioned and then the kind of price tag for the soldiers is attached to it. There's also hundreds and hundreds of deaths and the little details that are in the poem, like, uh, meanwhile, a riot began over a grilled cheese sandwich at Subic Bay. Like that's, those are accurate details. It really was that a guy asked for two sandwiches and was told, no, I'm only giving you one. And then he took the second sandwich. And then this like leads to an entire day and a half of on and off violence and clashes. When I was reading more about it and like the clashes were like, like there were people that had to be like medevaced off the Kitty Hawk because they were so seriously injured. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can, and the accounts of people who were there are like, people were fearing for their lives. Um, there was this one officer who sort of stepped in, this guy, Ben Cloud, who was himself black and I believe also uh, native. And he talks about how, like, if he had been white, he thinks he would have been killed. But yeah. So, like, he was going around trying to quell the the violence and to convince folks not to like go out and target individuals during the night basically after this sandwich incident happened and he yeah he talks about how he was convinced that if he was white he would have been killed and also there's other folks who afterwards talk about how like oh if i'd had a gun i would have shot all of them referring to the black service members um and this kind of like really you get such a, a sense of how tense it must have been and i think you can just even imagine on like being trapped on a ship and having all of this going on is like yeah really scary stuff and as the poem notes the only people who faced any consequences were these this group of black men who were then you know a number of them were court-martialed and and were you know arrested and charged after they got back to shore and none of the none of the white sailors were yeah it's it's really intense um Maybe it's too quick to zoom like far out, but for me, it's like helpful to think far out. But I was just like re- reading. Um, I was <laughs> I was telling I was telling uh, you earlier, but um, I had bought Hardly War the book at like AWP, maybe like in 2016 or something, uh, which was when it came out, and like many books I buy that I'm very excited to read, I never had gotten around to reading it. It's an amazing book and really difficult in a really fascinating way. Ami Choi is like somewhat sort of important and like acknowledged explicitly in the book. Her father was a photographer, um, like a professional photographer during the Korean and then um, the Vietnam Wars. And she's South Korean and then they... Uh, she grew up in Hong Kong, but like her dad was kind of always like, she says like around Southeast Asia, basically, you know, being a professional photographer. And so the book, um, has a bunch of his photographs in it and kind of, especially the Vietnam war marked a big moment, sort of like culturally as, you know, when, photography you know like played kind of this role like kind of big role in wartime and there's that kind of like iconic photo soldier being shot and stuff um anyway and so it's it's um like representations of war and things like that um through photography but also this kind of like well both like thinking about you know her own and her father's like identity and position in relation to the wars. Um, and also the other thing that is like mentioned here is like, you know, the Korean war happened first and then the Vietnam war happened and South Korean troops were the main, I think, non U S forces that were in Vietnam, um, assisting the U S soldiers this book i mean it has like the the poem that happens next after shitty kitty is called like neo colonies colony um mm. and it's kind of a reference to like south korea as sort of like a neo colony of the us but then vietnam 
being kind of a colony of South Korea, at least the way that I'm reading that relationship. Yeah, and it's it's part of this this middle section um, of hardly war that's like called purely illustrative. It kind of begins with this like guided bomb series poem, the Tarzan, um, and then it has this photo that um, uh, that Don Choi's father took, and then it juxtaposes. There's that famous Lyndon B. Johnson ad of the Daisy Girl, which also has, which she references in the notes, has a poetry kind of reference where it's like, we must love one another or die, which is like from this WH audit poem. Um, but then it's like this Daisy Girl and there's a countdown and then there's this ominous like nuclear explosion or whatever. And LBJ is like, duh, duh, duh. Um, and so it has the still from that next to one of her father's photographs. So it has the, the photograph that her dad took is called Refugee Girl. And it's in North Vietnam with a boy and it's in the, the demilitarized zone. I'm not gonna, there's like so many things to dig into, but I'm just like kind of <laughs> going through it sequentially to like, because <laughs> there's like so many resonances on top of resonances, but it's like, the still photo is called like Daisy Girl. And then the next poem is called like I Lack a Daisy. And then there's uh, a poem called Daisy Sing that Dami Troy talks about in the notes. Uh, Yi Sang was an experimental poet uh, during Korea's colonial period under Japanese rule. He created offensive, and I'm just reading from the from the notes here, but offensive wordplay with numbers in his poems and was able to get away with it despite the severe censorship. It's like, it counts like one, two, three, four, five, like all the way up to 10 then back down. And then there's Daisy stuff. And so then it's like, sort of like the countdown in the ad, but then it's also daisies. And then we get a postcard, a picture of a postcard from that's the front of it is Kitty Hawk and the postcard is from her father and it was intended to be sent to them when she was a kid but it was never mailed he just kept it in a, a photo album beneath a layer of protective plastic he used very simple language to explain the role of the Kitty Hawk in the Vietnam War instructing us to keep the card safe <laughs> um which is, yeah, very intense. And then the next poem is called Daddy's Flower Bed, A Little Chorus, which is apparently based on a children's song written right after the Korean War. Uh, there's even like musical notation on the page. And then you get to Shitty Kitty. That's when Shitty Kitty comes in. And then you get Neo-Colony's Colony, um, <laughs> which starts, you provide the prose poems. I'll provide the war. Anyway, then we have a poem called Kitty Stew. And then we have a poem called Operation Punctum. Anyway, and then that's that's the whole middle section. So there's like a lot happening. And then the next section, the last section of the book is this kind of, it's called Hardly Opera, which is kind of this several act opera or play that follows kind of the the camera that her dad used anyway it's fascinating and the notes just the notes that she says about shitty kitty i think is also it's a lot of the things that you've already mentioned but the riot related lines some of them are straight from the report by the special subcommittee you know on disciplinary problems according to bruce cummings korea's place in the sun in 1965 lbj asked Park Chung-hee for combat troops. In return, South Korea was paid approximately seven and a half million per division, totaling about $1 billion in cash from 65 to 70. And then Kitty Litter was the Samizdat anti-war newspaper published on the carrier, which I was Amazing. like, whoa, there's an anti-war newspaper being published on the aircraft carrier in the war 
Well, yeah, this was one of the other things that like a lot of the particularly the black service members who were entering as it became a more volunteer force were anti-war and were vocal about it. And this led to a whole other layer of tension because the, you know, a majority of the white, not all of the white, but many more of the white service members were pro-war. It's interesting, the opera connection and the fact that like, so in this poem in Shitty Kitty, there are like stage directions before these two like offset sections. The first, the list of massacres with price tags based off of Johnson paying the dictator, um, which is worth mentioning. Dictator Park Chung-hee, if you look him up, it'll say he was the president, but he was really presiding over military dictatorship from uh, I think it's like 1963 until he was assassinated in 79. So he was in power for many, many years and it was a dictatorship. Uh, don't let the word president fool you on that one. Yeah. Um, but there's the chorus and there's the anti-chorus and the way that they're offset, it reads sort of like stage directions would. And the fact that there is this kind of opera element to the book as a whole and also connections to obviously there's the idea of the theater of war, even though it's not that theater, it's still, you know, a resonant idea. Um, and also, I think just if you ask many people in the United States about the Vietnam War, I think some of the most popular, one of the most popular cultural depictions is the helicopters coming in to ride at the Valkyrie in Apocalypse Now. That is like an iconic film scene, even beyond people who've sat through all of Apocalypse Now, they're probably familiar with that scene. It's been, it, it's like bullet time in the Matrix or something. It's everywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, there's some wild, I was just listening to this thing about the Matrix and like within a year or two, that specific scene had been parodied over 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I feel like that's what happened with the ride of Valkyrie, right? Like how yeah. many different overly dramatic helicopter scenes have either played that, or it's been played over something different. Kong skull Island has a scene that's like it, you know, it reaches that point of cultural ubiquity. Yeah. There's a couple, I'm just like reading everything that she wrote in this book. Cause I love it a lot. And I also, it's one of those books that is so formally, um difficult <laughs> that there's also kind of Choi also like has a lot of kind of scaffolding in a way um which i which i think is really helpful and not doesn't like take away from anything um but but actually this is like kind of a note but it's not it's before it's not like in the notes at the end of the book it's like before that third section starts as she says, Hardly Opera is based on interviews I conducted with my father about his war experiences. As a child, I believed that the people and things that my father photographed followed him and lived inside his camera. I wish that I too could follow my father and live inside his camera. I finally enact my wish in Hardly Opera. That's um, incredible. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then perhaps in many ways, the entire book is about the experience of the photograph, which is capitalized, not as the spectator or the operator, which are both capitalized to use uh, Bart's terms, Roland Bart. Uh, I can't do the French. Roland Bart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. Roland. Not as the spectator or the operator, but as the daughter of the operator living inside the camera with spectrum, with history. Everything and everyone inside the camera are mad. They also enact their wish, the wish to return to the world. The very end of the very first piece, which is called Race Equals Nation, um, I also find as a helpful frame, um, so what I am attempting to do with my poems and my father's photographs is what I used to do as a child when I stared at my father's photographs and maps. I'm trying to imagine race equals nation, its language, its wars. I am trying to fold race into geopolitics and geopolitics 
into poetry, hence geopolitical poetics. It involves a disobeying history, severing its ties to power. It strings together the faintly remembered, the faintly imagined, the faintly discarded, which is to say race equals nation gets to speak its own faint history in its own faint language. Its mere umbilical cord is hardly attached to anything at all. Hence, hardly equals war. Wow. Which there's a lot there again. Um, and I think we're not going to parse everything out precisely, but I kind of bring it up to just throw a bunch of the kind of frameworks and themes and ideas and politics like into the air. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. That the, uh, yeah, that Barth's connection is really interesting because one of his like major books is called camera lucida which is like kind of a seminal photography like theory book but two of his big ideas are that there's like the photographs can operate in these two like major ways studium which is like kind of the analytical or uh analyzable aspect of it or the punctum which is uh like the direct connection that a viewer has to the subject of a photograph uh, and I know that at least one of the poems in the book is called Operation Punctum, which is one of the ones I've read because it's on the Poetry Foundation website. <laughs> um, yeah, particularly focusing on the way, as you were describing, like images can so directly connect someone to the subject and how that is a big story, particularly of how the United States experienced the Vietnam War. Um, and certainly that narrative has only grown since the war itself, both a narrative of like, importance in terms of illustrating what actually was happening in the war uh, through some of the iconic and horrific photographs like the monk who set himself on fire or the you know the young naked girl screaming and running from napalm or like the two probably most horrific and iconic images of the vietnam war um, but also the conversation around like film and filmed stuff uh, coming into people's living rooms and actually seeing war and seeing it in color and, uh, you know, within the military, that was really that generation of military leaders when the Gulf War, the first one comes around. And then really when the Iraq War particularly happens, there's this uh, like major effort on the part of the commanders who were around for the Vietnam War, but were now like Colin Powell is elevated to the chiefs of staff, to the you know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff this generation of military leaders is then like really careful to guard the way that the war is going to be experienced back home. And so they come up with ideas that will like give the illusion of access for journalists. So in Vietnam, you have journalists who literally will just get on helicopters with groups of soldiers who are going out and observe them and just be there and be flies on the wall and see all this horrific stuff going on in the Iraq war. You have this idea of embedded journalists, but the reports that you end up getting are like, oh, we're speeding across the desert ever faster towards Baghdad. And this is the firefight we saw today. And it's just a very different kind of relationship. And there's been quite a bit of really good stuff written about the, the training that went into, you know, embedding those journalists. Um, but just on the idea of like the punctum or how images can penetrate, like, the way that I feel that operating in this poem is that she has this really interesting and deep photographic connection to the idea of the Kitty Hawk and what's happening on it. Right. But fundamentally there aren't, as far as I know, photographic evidence and representations and images from the Kitty Hawk itself that like tell the story of the violence what you have is this really fascinating like metal box in the ship that just contains all of that experience and hides it out of sight. And it's sort of the same, particularly in the United States for like South Korean massacres in Vietnam. Like that's, we see images of our own massacres. If you know where to look, I don't think you're likely to see what South Korean troops did. So just from like an image standpoint, this poem is telling histories that in large part are not 
living for most people in that realm of image where the punctum can happen. And that kind of, uh, I think in the book, he even talks about it as like a wound that the image can create. It's like this wound and connection to the subject. So this poem in some ways like brings all of that to a place where it's visible. And I think that's really fascinating. I don't know how much that's directly addressed in the book itself. No, I think that's, that's a really good point. And, sh- and she does talk about that book of Bart's, um, which if I'm getting it wrong, I haven't read it in a number of years. So sorry if I'm doing it very basic, <laughs> I'm giving like the most basic level recounting of its most basic points. <laughs> I mean, one of the big things is like Barth's is sort of reckoning with the fact that photography goes beyond what language can do. Mm. So like images, photographic images can do something that words can't quite touch in the same way, basically. Um, and it's like taking the genre of photography almost on its own terms in, in that sense. And it's like a kind of mega extrapolation of a picture is worth a thousand words. It's like going as far down that theoretical road as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets into this, like, what does that mean? What does it mean that you can have these like really intense experiences with a photograph that are fundamentally different from ones that you would have with written words? And I think that that becomes especially apparent in war photography. Um, and Photography is interesting also in that way in that like it very closely, its development closely tracks a long conflict. So there is a specific tradition of, much like there's a specific tradition of war journalism, there's a specific tradition of war photography. Um, In addition to the sort of photography stuff and the more explicit references, there's also just like the formal shape of this poem, which we've touched on a little bit that has these this chorus and anti-chorus mixed in with what are essentially two um, like paragraph looking stanzas of, of poem. And I'm sort of curious, particularly about the anti-chorus, which is labeled kitty song. What, where do you, what do you make of that as like the ending of this poem? So you mentioned that kitty litter was the name of the anti-war onboard newspaper, which is a pretty powerful note to end on but just in general i don't know what what did you make of of kitty song there at the end <laughs> which yeah. is we are instructed performed by kittens in frilly white bonnets bibs and mittens which is maybe also an oblique reference to like sailor uniforms yeah i think so that seems right um yeah it's a great question and also it's um it's yeah, like it's not quite as visible to me, at least in um, online. But in the book, Kitty Song is also like a larger font. Uh, it's like yeah, centered. It's, it's just all caps online, I think. Yeah. Um, and then and then, and like that kind of stuff also happened. Like there are some poems in the book that are like overlaid like over images and photos and things like that in the neo colonies colony there's it ends with meow and meow must be like 64 point font and it's like there's a little tilde so it's like meow oh uh so yeah it's like it's a very good question. Um, my answer is going to start by not answering it. <laughs> Ooh, is, how, what a politician <laughs> didn't know I was on this podcast with the spin doctor. Oh my God. I said up front that I was going to evade the question. All right. The least that a politician could do is be like, <laughs> I don't care about your question. I want to talk about my thing. Okay. So the voice in the whole poem is very deliberately strange, right? I mean, it's like, you know, if we take a very conventional, which is not a negative thing at all, poem, 
you can almost say the poet is the speaker. The speaker is like, here's what I was thinking. And it's basically like the poet's like, I saw an apple and I was like, oh my God, life is short. Um, <laughs> and Sounds like a killer poem to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, I it's, saw it's, an apple. Life is short. It's sort of like, uh, you know, I woke up this morning and I got myself a beer. Oh God. Uh, the future's uncertain and the end is always near. Wow. Um, you know that great song by uh, American Poetry Royalty, Jim Morrison? <laughs> I mean, now that you sing it. Poet Laureate of Rock and Roll, Connor. Yeah, I know, I know. I the know. Lizard King. I know, I know. Um Okay, my poem was called uh, Newtonian Carpe Diem, uh, so F off. Um, That's good. Thank you. Mine was called Plagiarized, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you credited. You had a little footnote at the end. Yeah, but that was all me doing my own original poem called Plagiarized. Oh, oh, oh. It's a performance piece, and it's stolen. (laughs) wow um so this poem is obviously not that right um you know like take the first sentence here comes shitty kitty en route to the gulf of tonkin or en route to a race riot question mark and then it's like that is the question and meanwhile discipline is the keystone and meanwhile did you see on tv helicopters being ditched into the sea um And, you know, there's like repeated this, like, that is the question. And meanwhile, and like, there's, you know, um, and meanwhile, all refugees must be treated as suspects. So like, you know, and, and as we were talking about in the notes, it's like, there's a lot of things that are kind of pulled from, you know, that are quotes. So there's sort of like that kind of illusion stuff, but it's like this, the voice of the, which is the most clear when we get to Kitty song, but already from the beginning, the voice of the poem is not A, this poet, or even B, like one voice, you know? It's like, sometimes it sounds like, you know, it's, you know, like a military report. Sometimes it sounds like it's the news. Sometimes it sounds like it's a sort of philosophical question. Um, And so there's kind of this like disorienting aspect to reading it where you're like, it's all one sentence or it's all a paragraph, but like, you know, that is the question. And meanwhile, South Korea exports military labor left over from the war. It's like, oh, that's like, could be basically like a, I don't know, I could read that in like foreign policy magazine or something. Like it's a very, the tone is kind of academic. It's like analytical. It's sort of describing. Um, we adhere to traditional concepts of military discipline tempered with humanitarianism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you get this kind of mishmash or, you know, like sometimes it's called like polyphonic or a bricolage or the lattice work um, that the the note from the National Book Award was talking about. Um, and then it's like even more amplified when you have like the chorus dictator Park Chung-hee and his shoulders and rain ray bands. And then the chorus is like the how much, like, uh, you know, all these all this money for massacres um you know and so it's like you know and then and then after the chorus we get like that is the question and meanwhile a riot began over grilled cheese sandwich at subic bay discrimination or perception um you know that is the question and meanwhile lard or crisco aye aye sir um you know, and there's like this kind of, it's also like pastiche like kind of parody. Um, 
I'm just throwing out a lot of words that I can say. Um, and, you know, then you get the anti-chorus and it's like, on the one hand, it's like thinking about what you're talking about with punctum and like the direct visceral encounter with the war and the experience of the war. Um, you know, and you think about this really, this is just sort of the most basic. It was reminding me of, we did, um, we talked about a Carolyn Forche poem because one is always forgotten. Um, and she had kind of, you know, she's really made a name for herself like and and also like kind of developed you know through her work making anthologies and things like that of you know the like a poetics of witness um and things like that and there's a question of you know there's a very um you know it's like if you're describing something violent horrible traumatic you know what are what are the ways that you describe it and one of her most well-known poems um, is called The Colonel, and it's a prose poem, and she had spent a lot of time in El Salvador in the 70s, um, and there's this moment, the speaker's meeting with this colonel. Um, the colonel returned with a sack used to bring groceries home. He spilled many ears on the table. They were like dried peach halves. There is no other way to say this. He took one of them in his hands, shook it in our faces, dropped it into a water glass. And, you know, that that moment, there is no other way to say this. Here you have something so, you know, disturbing and violent, um, you know, just severed ears. And the language itself becomes incredibly pared down to the point where it steps out of the poem in a way. And it's like, there's no other way to say this. Like, that's what the ears were. It's like, and so I think about this poem in a way as a kind of contrast to that style where there is a kind of, like, it's funny, like kitty song. You know, you're picturing kittens in frilly white bonnets. They have bibs and mittens kittens with mittens and the rhymes are rhymy, right? It's like, I, 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 sir, I crazy daisy, sir. I export quality, sir. I grill grill, sir. I meow meow, sir. I kitty litter, sir. It's like, everything's like, so child, like child rhyming. Um, and it's also done again, you know, as the I, I, sir, as the kind of sailor, parody kind of you know like anyone who hears i i sir it's like oh you're talking about a sailor it's like that ubiquitous um and it's like drilling deep into that and then you know doing crazy daisy and like daisy's like kind of referencing the daisy girl from you know a few poems back and like they're all referencing and you know there's jokes on you know, the kitty being a kitten, obviously. So it's like also like puns that are childish too. And in some ways, in some ways we can read the poems and this poem as like the speaker is thinking about like, I was a kid when my father was taking these photos or something. Um, and there's somewhat of a child perspective. But then at the other, on the other hand, it's like, stark contrast to the itemized list of the cost, the financial precise cost of massacres, just true atrocities. And then thinking about like all of these other different voices, it's like, it's hard to say exactly what it's doing, but I think it's something that's happened where this is like a crude way of putting it, but it's like, it's not enough or it's been overdone or it plays into it somehow to simply represent something so horrific as, as a war or a massacre um, that 
that kind of bearing witness to, which also of course is like what she's engaging with, like is her father was a, a principal witnesser and documenter of these wars. Kind of tying into the idea of, you know, how is war experienced and how mediated it becomes and the things that are hidden or presented by journalists or by the government uh, is that the shift that was happening at the time of the you know, violence on the Kitty Hawk, which is the shift to the volunteer military, is also this kind of breaking in American society where the military becomes a group of people who are uh, separated out, like the draft no longer touches. Okay, it didn't always touch everyone because, you know, if you were the child of a governor or a senator, you would get a deferment or you'd be in the National Guard or whatever. Um, but like the without the draft in place, war becomes something that a quote unquote warrior class could then do. And it's this group of people who then become the self-selected military and it changes the fundamental relationship of what it feels like in the nation to live at war. It becomes possible to ignore a 20 year forever war engagement in Afghanistan or in Iraq in a different kind of way for more people. And I think that that is also like a breaking of a certain kind of punctum in the photography. You know, if this poem is getting at like pains that are undercover, all of war becomes a different kind of separated out national pain when you don't have the draft. And I feel like that one line of the poem that really sticks out, and this is kind of putting I guess, South Korean history in conversation with U.S. history, but also um, gets at this a little bit, which is um, that is also my history or is that your history? And who is the my, who is the your, whose history is this? Is it black and white on the Kitty Hawk? Is it South Korean and U.S. committing atrocities in Vietnam? There's a lot of different places to go with that my and your, but I feel like it is trying to bridge that kind of like analytical view of war with the wound experience view of war, which is sort of the idea that Barthes really puts forward about photography, which is there's this element of it that's analytical and that you can look at it and think about it and like try and parse out what a photograph is doing with words. There is this other part of it that is like, an emotional or even physical experience of looking at a photograph that is beyond language. Yeah, no, I, I love the attention to your history for like, you know, whose history is it? Um, yeah. And that there's so many in this poem alone, there's right. There's like black American soldiers, white American soldiers, you know, in the adjacent poems, South Korean soldiers, they're in Vietnam, Vietnamese soldiers, Vietnamese civilians. But then there's also like in the history, there's a great review of Harley War came out in the margins. And it sort of talks about um, in this section of the book, the second section, the boys and orphans of Korea's war have now become men and the men have become soldiers. How quickly they have forgotten to what it's like to be on the other side of the bayonet. Um, and there's this kind of like, you know, the, the black American soldiers, the South Korean soldiers, the Vietnamese soldiers and civilians are all being oppressed by the US imperial <laughs> engine and force. And then there's also different ways in which they're participating some of them are participating in it there's another part of the review that's like like what does it mean to exist in a war in a way and you think about like don mi Choi growing up both with her father but then also being south korean but then also like growing up in hong kong and then you know eventually living in the states where is is one's position in relation to all of this S similar to what you were saying in about like they're no longer being a draft is like what is you know like what was my involvement in the iraq war or like the afghanistan war like i didn't serve 
you know, obviously I was a kid for much of it. We played at an anti-war concert. (laughs) There we go. We did together. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Um, Yeah. And I think, I think it's just like, on, on the one hand, it seems somewhat abstract in this like sort of, you know, ideas of exi- like existing and self and stuff and history. But then on the other hand, of course, it's like incredibly visceral and brutal when it comes to war. And it is quite literally a matter of life and death. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. I just I, I really appreciate everything you brought up there because I think that those are a lot of the questions. Um, to be thinking about should we read it again let's read it again this is shitty kitty by don me Choi. here comes shitty kitty and route to the gulf of tonkin or en route to a race riot that is the question and meanwhile discipline is the keystone and meanwhile did you see on tv helicopters being ditched into the sea that is also my film and meanwhile all refugees must be treated as suspects Looking for your husband? Looking for your son? That is the question. And meanwhile, she was the mother of the boy, or that is what the translator said, or shitty kitty, or shall we adhere to traditional concepts of military discipline tempered with humanitarianism? That is the question. And meanwhile, South Korea exports military labor left over from the war. That is also my history. Or is that your history? That is the question. And meanwhile, chorus. Dictator Park Chung-hee and his soldiers in Ray-Bans. How much? 7.5 million equals per division. Or Bintai Massacre equals 7.5 million. Or Bin-Hoa Massacre equals 7.5 million. Or Dianyan Fok Bin Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Go Dai Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Ha Mai Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Fong Ni and Fong Nat Massacre equals 15 million, or Te Vin Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Vin Chuan Massacre equals 7.5 million, or Mighty History? That is the question. And meanwhile, a riot began over a grilled cheese sandwich at Subic Bay. Discrimination or perception? That is the question. And meanwhile, the sailor refused to make a statement or translate? That is the question. And meanwhile, 26 men, all black, were charged with assault and rioting. And meanwhile, did you translate? That is my question. And meanwhile, Larder Crisco. Aye, aye, sir. Anti-chorus. Kittens in frilly white bonnets, bibs and mittens. Kitty song. I, aye, aye, sir. I, crazy daisy, sir. I, export quality, sir. I, grill, grill, sir. I, meow, meow, sir. I, kitty litter, sir. Jack. Yes. I have a question for you. Uh-huh. It is a question I often have. Bring it on. You often answer. I'm ready. Um, what are the things that you have been consuming as of late, whether they be of the visual, the auditory, the linguistic? Hmm the um kinesthetic Ooh, tell me (laughs) uh well i'm trying on this new thing i'm gonna go by nickelback jack and all i do is listen to nickelback now oh no 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 sorry i forgot the one rule no nickelback oh well 
looks like this podcast is coming to an untimely end because <laughs> I'm now known to my friends as Nickelback Jack, and all I do is listen to Nickelback. So, oh, gosh, yeah, check that that's... out. No, that's not true at all. I've I don't <laughs> I think I've listened to one song of theirs all the way through, maybe once in my life. Um, what have I been? Well, okay, so I'm a little bit behind in the MCU. I know I give you a hard time about this, but I'm finally catching up <laughs> and. I saw Black Widow this week. And let me tell you, my kind of MCU movie, it's got spy stuff. Mm. It's got Florence Pugh. It's got, you wow. know, undercover Russian agents. It's got nice. David Harbour. It's fun. It's touching. It's got big family themes in it. I'm all about it. Loved it. But yeah, Black <laughs> Widow's great. Uh, also, Obviously, one of the major events in my life uh, is the death of Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts, mm. which I wrote about in the Unboxed newsletter. And I also mentioned in that uh, like a little essay that there is an outtake, not really an outtake, it's an alternative take of the song Loving Cup, which is on the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street album, which is widely regarded as like the peak of their kind of creativity. And it's the most pure distillation of like the thing that the stones do the particular blend of country and blues and jazz and all that stuff like it's it's just where they really hit their stride and i think as like a vibe of an album that's kind of true it doesn't have any of my like favorite stones songs on it but on the 2010 re-release of it there's this alternate take of the song loving cup And the drumming that Charlie Watts does on that is like incredible. It's this really, um, it showcases all the ways that he plays off of and accentuates guitar stuff that's happening and vocal phrasing and it's just very attentive while still providing the beat kind of drumming uh, that's really amazing And then the final thing is an interview with the gentleman who is known as the Chicano Woody Guthrie, who is Jesus Chuy Negrete. And he died earlier this year. There's going to be a community remembrance of him soon in Chicago, which is where he was based out of, basically. Um, and he did an interview in the late 90s with Studs Terkel. So it's like this half hour interview with him. And he's a fascinating guy. Um, pretty well known in obviously like Chicano and Chicano activist circles and kind of within Chicago as like a local celebrity, particularly in the, uh, you know, Hispanic community, but he's just a fascinating guy who, you know, dedicated his life to social change and music, which is kind of my sweet spot. So his interview with Studs Terkel, it's like maybe 30 minutes and it's really fascinating. Not, not as much reading, I will say. The last couple of weeks have Fair been enough. a little light on reading, but it comes and goes. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Fair Maybe nice. you've been reading lately, have you? Or is it also mostly watching and listening down your end as well? What's, what's keeping you going over in old Minnesota? Yeah, well... Um... I've been reading a bit, but not. It's also been pretty light for me. Um, yeah, I I actually um, on the music end, I've been revisiting an old classic that I had forgotten about. It's Ben Webster meets Oscar Peterson. Um, ben Webster was a great jazz tenor sax player very like breathy tone um and kind of like i mean 
basically cannonball Adderley is like my guy. Cause he's an alto player, but like Ben Webster, the way he sounds. That's like, it's hard to beat. He's not like the most technically like virtuosic, mm-hmm. but he just like, ooh. And then Oscar Peterson, piano, so good, incredible. And this is just like a trio. I think it was it was recorded in like 1960. Um, and they do a lot of like classics, um, you know, like in the wee small hours of the morning and uh, things like that. And it's good. It's just like, it creates a mood. I've been really into that lately, like just music that is the right kind of overall mood. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've definitely been just just vibing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I don't know. You just feel like you're at like a dimly lit club, like you're you're dining out with your, your one true love, and like you don't really have to say anything because like the saxophone and the piano are doing all the talking. You know what I mean? Nice. It's beautiful. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.